Well, um, I feel kind of prayed up. I'm not even going to start in prayer because I've been really prayed up. But for, for those of you who, uh, who know me, I love to pray. Um, I will grab any little opportunity to pray with people. It's, it's a pleasure to me. And I was on vacation uh, recently, and uh, Richard, Jonas, um, called and said, I've got something to pray about. And, in the, and I was like, yeah, let's do the phone thing. Let's do the phone prayer. Um, and um, while we were talking, he pointed me to Ephesians 1, and he said there are so many treasures in Ephesians 1. And I was looking that over after we spoke on the phone, and, and verse 13 says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And I think sometimes we can forget that when we believe the good news of Christ, we get the Spirit of Christ to come live in us permanently. And the Spirit comes, when he comes to live with us, he comes with baggage. He comes with good baggage, as a matter of fact. Fruit and gifts. And so for the past five years, I have been picking one fruit every year. I've gone through the, the, the scripture. In fact, maybe you remember. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Anybody ha have those on the top of your head? Love, peace, joy, yeah? Patience, oh, ki kindness, exactly. Um, the, the list goes, it's funny, I, I, I think I get worse as the list goes on. I mean, like my personal life. I, it says, but it says the, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Um, so I've gone through this list, and this happens to be the year of goodness. And I didn't think goodness would be that big of a deal, but when I started digging into it, it's, it's like, wow, it's, a, it's kind of a big topic. And I feel, when I, when I started looking into it, I thought, how can I turn this into a sermon? It is such a big topic. Um, but here it goes, you know, this is my best shot. Um, so looking at words in scripture, one hermeneutical principle uh, to understanding words is to go back to the very first use of the word, wherever it was used first. And, and of all the fruits of the spirit, goodness goes back the very farthest. It goes back, of course, all the way to Genesis 1. In Hebrew, the word for good is tobe, uh, which, uh, I, when I looked at this, I thought, this is a fascinating word. I wouldn't have thought that this was the definition. But the definition of tobe means good, beautiful, or working the way it's created to. So here God is in Genesis 1, and he's looking at his world, and seven times in Genesis 1, God says that what he created was good. Good, 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 good. And then the last time, imagine God looking over everything and saying, yep, yep, it is, it is very good. It is working exactly the way I created it to. But then fast forward, fast forward thousands of years to now, and I, when I look around, I certainly don't say, oh, wow, it's all good. Everything is working just the way it's created to, to, to work. And when I look inside of me, I don't think of that. I don't think, oh, yeah, everything's working just great inside of me. I'm all Tobe. 
Um, in fact, I don't need cultural messages to reinforce that I'm not good enough or that I'm not, I don't measure up. Um, I already know that. I know I don't think or act in Tobe-like ways. I'm well aware that I'm not working the way I'm created to work. There was a domino effect to the fall of man. Back when Adam and Eve, how many rules did Adam and Eve have to keep track of that God gave them? How many rules? One, one, and yet they broke it anyway, right? And we have been breaking rules ever since. So there's this fall of man that happened, and there's a domino effect that all of us now are, you know, stuck with a sin nature, and we, uh, we are all, none of us are a clean slate. So when Jesus came to earth, he recognized that um, his creation was not good anymore, in fact, when a rich young ruler came up to him and said, good teacher, Jesus replied and said, why do you call me good? There's no one good except God alone. Like, the rest of y'all aren't good. He recognized that. Uh, we're told in Romans 3, all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. And Isaiah 64, 6 says, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. So, thought I'd bring you that real downer. Um, it actually sounds kind of harsh, because sometimes I think, well, I'm pretty good. You know, I mean, uh, as good as the next guy. But maybe God has a different measuring stick for good, like good compared to him, instead of good compared to the next guy. And so, in Greek, the word for good is agathos, and that means intrinsically good or good in nature. And I think it's kind of ironic because intrinsically good, good by my own nature, but I don't have a good nature. I have a sinful nature. So, good luck. In Romans 8, 7, Paul writes, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. When we're held captive by our sin nature, we can't submit to God's law. So left to ourselves, the truth is, we can't be good. Left to ourselves, we can't be good. Let that bad news really sink in. Um, so here I am, I'm thinking about the real solemnity of this, you know, when I was preparing this week, and um, preparing these blank pages. Uh, and so I'm thinking about how bad and how useless it is to try to be good on my own and all that. And, um, but then I hear off in the distance, I hear this, you're no good, you're no good, you're no good, baby, you're no good, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. But I think it's kind of funny because there's Linda Ronstadt, you know, emphasizing the spiritual truth of, anyway, it's funny to me. Uh, but... Um, so I, I had a wonderful vacation recently, and I, I watched some movies with my brother Scott and his family, um, and he's got three awesome kids, uh, 10, 12, 13, and <clears throat> but it's not always easy finding family-friendly movies um, that everybody is going to like and that's going to be appropriate and so forth. So um, we watched a few good ones, but we watched also some truly dumb action movies. I mean... Yeah, but when my little niece, Sienna, who just turned 10, is saying, can we watch Rampage with The Rock? You know, it's like, well, sure, we can watch Rampage. And so Rampage was bearable, but I just want to give you, like, a heads up about Pacific Rim Uprising. Don't even, don't even 
turn it on because it's so dumb. Um, I couldn't even finish it for the love of my nieces and nephew. <clears throat> but you might notice that in these action movies, action movies capitalize over and over on a certain theme. The theme is all is lost. Am I right? I mean, how many times have you heard that? You've heard this, you know, you get this whole same idea, which is everything has gone wrong for the heroes. The bad is so strong and pervasive. What could possibly save them? Right? I mean, that is a common theme. Um, and then this idea that you're trying to convey to the audience, all is lost. And so the bleaker you paint the picture, the more spectacular the salvation, right? So in real life, though, of course, our spiritual plight is not a fiction movie writer's ploy to build excitement. It's a real mess that we've gotten ourselves into by choosing our way instead of God's original goodness, OG, his plan for us. But thankfully, all is not lost. In fact, um, we are reinforced with this every week. We're reinforced at the end of Peter's sermons when he says three words that have become a tradition around here. What's he say? All right. Believe the gospel. What's the gospel mean? Good news or Tobe news. I'd like him to get up here and say, believe the Tobe news. That would be a change, a twist. But the good news is that there is one force strong enough to defeat our sin nature and to restore goodness in us, and that's the power of God in Christ. So that's the good news. The gospel story, whenever you, you know, we, we, we celebrate this every time we come to communion. We celebrate that the good guy wins, that the hero wins. The gospel is full of intensity and drama, sacrifice and miracles. Out of great love, the hero dies for the people. Then to everyone's surprise, he comes back to life. We don't want to get too used to that, you know, because it's still very exciting. Colossians describes the greatest rescue story of all time. It says, For he, the Father, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Now that is spectacular salvation. Better than any action movie we can think of. But you know, in a, in a Hollywood action movie, uh, the, the rescue is usually at the end of the story, the big finish. But that's not like it is in our lives. Because we know the big finish, the big rescue has happened in Christ, but we still have to live our lives, the rest of our lives, the aftermath, um, in a world that is still not all good. For some reason, God has chosen the slow train of restoring the good. <clears throat> so Jesus oftentimes uses the picture of a garden to explain his kingdom and to explain our relationship with him. And here are some of his words in John 15. I love this. Um, <clears throat> Jesus says, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit 
fruit that will last. So God is the gardener. He's the fruit whisperer. And the cool thing is that gradually, but inexorably, God produces the fruit of the Spirit in us, like it or not. Because God has planted the good seed in us, and he does whatever needs to be done in our lives to ensure that those seeds will bring about more good fruit. He waters us, he shines his light on us, he prunes us, sometimes it feels like he pours manure on us. I mean, am I, am I real here? Uh, <laughs> oh, Stephen's here, good. And Vance and Beth, who I noticed, but I won't call them out. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Um, so, so the gardener, this gardener is persistent and he doesn't give up on any kind of unproductive or unruly garden. He keeps on going. And in fact, Philippians 1.6 says, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So here's the good news, more good news. The good news is that this takes some pressure off of us. I'm a firstborn. I feel that pressure to be good, you know? And I've felt that probably all my life. But this is kind of takes the pressure off. Like, God is going to bring about good in you, like it or not. And so it's his problem. I am his problem. So now there's real goodness growing in me, not because of my weak and inconsistent efforts, but because of God's unthwartable love and determination. God's goodness is growing in me. Now let that good news sink in. That is so good. God's goodness is growing in me. In fact, I'd like you to testify it. Could you say that out loud? Um, God's goodness... God's goodness is growing in me. One more time. God's goodness is growing in me. Right. It is. It really is. So we are assured that fruit wins and that the fruit that God is growing in us um, is, is it's going to happen. Nothing's going to stop it. But that doesn't mean that it's instantaneous or easy. Just like a garden, plants take time to grow. Weeds still crop up, storms or droughts come. There's a struggle. I can completely relate when Paul writes about the struggle between the old nature and the new nature in me. Uh, see if this sounds familiar to you. In Romans 7, Paul says, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Not in me and my own efforts to sustain it. So if you're a gardener, are there any gardeners in the room here who are, oh yeah, we got some gardeners. Oh yeah, Stephen, I've seen his garden. Okay, I've, I, Jennifer Anderson was here last night. Uh, I know she, Paul is not here, is she? I know there's some real gardeners, hardcore gardeners around here. But any gardener knows I'm not a gardener. <laughs> but um, the gardeners I've talked to tell me that you can't force a garden to grow. 
You have to cultivate, you have to coax, you have to woo, you have to breathe on those little plants. You have to wait, you have to get your hands dirty. You have to tend day after day, and sometimes you have to get tough. When my landlords were out of town last month, they asked me to deadhead their, their roses. They said if I cut off the dead flowers, then more and more new blooms would come. So part of the gardening involves this cutting off, a death that has to happen to us, like death to all these layers of my sin nature. But death is always intended to bring new life. So um, I moved from Chicago to Colorado 12 years ago, basically to follow my sister's kids. Um, she has three kids. I literally followed them here. Um, my nephew, who was little at the time, said, uh, you're my only friend who moved across the country for me. Yes, I am. Uh, <laughs> but um, as they were growing up, I went to visit them every Thursday night, so they knew that that was coming. And my nieces, Ellie and Cassidy, they started this little practice around the time that they knew that I'd be arriving. They would jump on their trampoline um, and start looking for my car to come around the corner onto their street. And they'd be jumping and jumping, and when they saw my car turn and get close enough so that I could see them, then they, in their words, would die of love. They said it. They said they would die of love, and what this means is that they would collapse dramatically into the throes of a dramatic death. Um, and uh, so it was this tragedy, but I mean, is that about the most fantastic way to be greeted ever? I mean, really? <laughs> I mean, that, I loved when they would die of love for me. It was great. Uh, but of course, moments after they died of love, they would bounce back to life and play with me all evening. And so I was thinking, you know, that's, that's the idea of, you know, die, when God calls us to die so that we can live, it's this dying of love. And it's not terrible. It's we bounce back, and he wants life, and he will bring life. And he will bring about his restoration of original goodness. Uh, he has this plan, and nobody's going to stop him. In case you didn't know, Jeremiah 29, 11, remember that? It says, God is speaking, he says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. So our call as people of God is to be a community where everything is gradually becoming good and beautiful and gradually starting to be as it was created to be. In fact, every time we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that's what we're praying. We're praying for this restoration of the good. And this goodness isn't supposed to be kept to ourselves. In fact, it's supposed to grow and spread and be shared. Um, I had a funny moment this summer that does not show me at my best. Um, I have a friend, Eric, who uh, visited me uh, from Ohio. And before he came, he sent me a box of dark chocolate-covered strawberries. And that happens to be my absolute favorite. Um, so when I got the box, I was downstairs. I rent the upstairs of a home, um, and the lower half, the, the retired couple lives down there. And I opened the box, and when I saw what they were, there's, here's what ran through my, you know, unsanctified head. Uh, Kathleen, you never get these. You do not have to share these with your landlords. Don't stay downstairs, or you will feel like you need 
to give them some. So I cradled the precious delicacies like my firstborn child and bolted upstairs. And I ate two without taking a breath. And right after I was eating these, I started to feel this familiar tug inside of me of God's spirit nudging me to give. And I almost said out loud, no way, no, no. Um, but um, I, so I stashed them in my refrigerator and tried to do something else. But then God doesn't leave me alone. Is he like that with you? I mean, oh, good luck, you know, good luck ignoring him because he, you know, keeps tapping, keeps nudging, you know, a little elbow here and there. Finally, I caved in with a terrible attitude. I doled out two little, you know, strawberries carefully, brought them downstairs and, you know, casually said, hey, would you guys like one? And, um, and they have no idea what's running through my, you know, ungiving head. But I finally gave what I should have willingly, generously given to begin with. And this made me think of sharing fruit, you know, just literally sharing fruit. And there's a scripture that's in First Thessalonians that says, do not quench the spirit. So we can either quench or cooperate with God's plan to restore goodness. In Ephesians 2.10 it says, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So again, there's this plan for good. Nathan Albert writes, we don't do Tobe works so that we might be accepted by God. Through what Christ has done, we are accepted by God. If we try to gain God's acceptance by living a Tobe life, we'll just become religious, burnt out, give up on God because the standards are way too high, or we'll think that God owes us because of our upstanding living. So we aren't supposed to become guilt-driven, self-righteous rule followers. God calls us to be Tobe, to be working the way we're created to be. And when we're working the way we're created to be, it's actually kind of exciting. It's, you know, when something really works the way it's supposed to. I was, thinking, I was thinking about something that happened with my brother. My brother at one point, my brother loves cars, and one time um, he took me out. He had for a, a time, a short time, he had a Dodge Viper. He lives in Southern California. And he said, you know, a Dodge Viper is not really created to go in traffic, stop-and-go traffic on the Southern California Highway. The Dodge Viper is intended to go fast, and it's intended to, to just work well. One time he took me on this super curvy road called Mulholland Drive. It's a famous drive. And he said, you've, he took me in the Viper, and he's like, you just have to see how this thing handles. And I'm like, okay, you know. <laughs> but when it was working the way it was created to work, there was some exhilaration to it. And I think it's like that with us. When we're working the way we're created to be. I mean, it does bear asking, well, what was I created to be? How was I created to be? Uh, before I was ordained in a Presbyterian church outside of Chicago, um, I had to undergo two full days, two eight-hour days of psychological testing to make sure I wasn't a psychopath. <laughs> um, and boy, I fooled them. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> um, 
So they've got all these tests that they're pummeling me with, but the one that was the most daunting to me was the, the psychologist came into the room with this piece of paper. It was the size of a poster paper. Uh, I mean, like poster board. And it was a huge blank sheet of paper. And um, the woman calmly said to me, draw who you think you are. And uh, I was like, huh, <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, I said, I really, truly cannot draw. I love art, but I missed that boat entirely. So I told this woman, um, and the heartless psychologist said, do the best you can. Walked out of the room. So I'm left alone with this blank sheet of paper, and I'm going, draw who you think you are. Gee, I have no idea. Um, this is ridiculous. And I sat and I thought about, who am I? Um, kind of like, who am I? Uh, I'm Jean Valjean. I just want to say Jolene and I are going to see Les Miserables after this. But there's a song in there, who am I? Um, and, um, but so I'm thinking about this, and I don't remember if I prayed or not, um, but I think God dropped an answer in my head from Psalm 1. I got excited about it. Um, I mean, it doesn't take much for those of you that know me, but, um, but I was excited about this because I thought, oh, here's an answer. And the verses that came to my mind say, say this. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, and whatever they do prospers. So I was like, yes, I'm a tree. I'm a tree. Uh, you know, my family planted in me when I was just young. They planted in me for years. God's word, and so, you know, I might not be the most interesting thing, but I, you know, I've been growing all these years, and I've become a tree, and I've got fruit on me, and and I'm by the stream of water, and water is a lot of times a picture of the Holy Spirit. And so I was like, hey, I finally figured out what I am. So I drew this depiction of a, and I say drew very loosely, but um, I drew this big old preschool quality caliber drawing of a tree with fruit on it by a little stream of water. And it made me feel good. I thought I'm a tree. That's what I am. And um, God has this fruit growing in me, and I tell you this, I tell you this because you are a tree also. You're a tree also, and you've got fruit popping out of you as well. Um, God's goodness is growing in you, and we're created for the good growing in us to be the good spilling out of us. Let me say that one more time because this is big. We're created for the good that's growing in us to be the good that's spilling out of us. Um, and we'll be motivated, we'll be compelled, we'll be inspired to do good, not because we have to, it's not an arm twisting, but it's because we're too full to hold it all in. The more God's good is sown in us. I love the enthusiasm that John Wesley has when he says, you can just tell, he says, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Yeah, right? That's good. So there's this goodness that is coming, that's meant to be, I picture a waterfall, that 
<clears throat> my favorite verse is one of the ones I read to you from John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so also I have loved you. Now remain in my love. And I picture this waterfall where God's love is pouring onto me. And like if I just stay under that waterfall, um, I'm going to be drenched. And wherever I, I walk around, it's just going to slop off of me. That water is just going to come off of me. That goodness, that love, that everything that God is. And of course, you know, when you look at Jesus, he personified goodness. Uh, all we have to do is look at his life. We're told, there's a little verse that I like, it says that Jesus went about doing good. Really simple. That just kind of tells what his life was like. He went about doing good. So the more we look at Jesus and follow him, the more we start to imitate him. Even unintentionally, we start acting like the one that we're looking at. Um, there's a quote that says, uh, actually John Piper says, we behold to become. So the longer you look, the more you'll be like that. The Apostle John says, beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. And Jesus didn't fake it or do good to impress anybody. In Romans, we're told, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. And then Jesus also said, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. There's so much goodness that, that Jesus lived out. In fact, um, it, I got teared up when I was, when I was uh, preparing this little part right here because I thought Jesus sometimes wants us to be good to the point of ridiculous. He said, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. And I thought, really? That's ridiculous. But you know, he's so good. Um, he's so good. So his ways are so much higher than my ways, and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His, his goodness is, is so much far beyond mine. Romans 12, 21 says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He overcame our evil with his goodness. Speaking of trees, um, Peter writes, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So that is the Tobe news. The good news is that, that Jesus died of love. He died of love for you. And so uh, I want to thank him as we uh, begin to take communion together. And uh, so, pray with me if you would. Lord, we don't want to take this for granted ever. We don't want to get used to it. We don't want to come to your table and say, yeah, we do this every week. Uh, we want to pause, and we really want to uh, absorb your goodness. 
So I pray that you would um, fill us up as we come. We taste and see that the Lord really is good. Um, I, I pray that um, we would cry out to you with gratitude from our inmost being. <clears throat> and um, we just pray that your goodness would take over, um, would fill us more and more, more of you, less of us. And so, um, so thank you, Lord, that it's all good news. We love you and um, we remember you in Christ's name. And you remember as on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, um, this is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, in remembrance of me. And so everyone is welcome. Uh, come and taste the good. So I'll tell you a funny story about Jennifer Anderson um, before we're, I promise we're almost out of here. Um, but Jennifer's doing a great job downstairs, helping with everything behind the scenes today, being Susan. Um, but Jennifer's a master gardener, and what I think is funny, in the one experience that I had gardening with Jennifer, is um, Jennifer um, not only takes care of her own garden beautifully, um, but she, something happened in her where she looked around at her neighbors and was like, I could help you with that. I could help you with that. She had neighbors on both sides of her that she was doing gardening for them because she couldn't stand to just have her own beautiful garden. She had to, you know, spread it out. And so one time I went and worked with her in the garden, and she's hardcore. She put me to work. And um, in somebody else's garden, by the way. Um, but I just think it's, it's kind of cool that there's something in you that overflows like, I have to, that's not how it's created to be over there. That's not how that's created to be. I, I can bring some good here. You know, I can make this beautiful the way it's created to be. And so um, my prayer for you is, well, actually my prayer for you is, are these closing verses. I'd like you to pray them over yourselves by reading them out loud with me. Um, they're so good. Um, take your sweet time with them. They're really good, and this is your benediction. Um, <clears throat> believe the Tobe news. Um, and here we go. So we keep on praying for you asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live, and you will be honored along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. All right, believe the Tobe news. Amen.